whenever on a Sunday morning or in something like this, or even maybe this is your first time in a church or something like this, you take a look around and wonder, what do, we, what do I make of all of this? What do I make of all of it? And maybe you've gone to church all your life. Maybe you've been brought going to church, that kind of thing, and you've gone to church all your life. And, you, and I wonder if you ever look around and actually just ask yourself the question, what do I make of all of this? What do I make of all of this? What, what, what do you make of all of this this morning? You, maybe you're here visiting with us. Maybe you're here for Megan's baptism. Maybe you, you, you came in after a rough week and you said, I just need to hear or do something different to break up the pattern of my life. I, I don't know. I know some of you. I don't know all of you. I, I, I can see that looking out. So welcome if you're visiting. My name's Scott. I'm the pastor of the church here. Um, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles. If you don't have one with you, there's ones just tucked into some of the pockets in the backs of the seats there. If you can't get one or you're not sure if you want to do that, there's going to be up on the screen for you to be able to track uh, with that as well. We'll turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to look at uh, this morning as we kind of prepare and as we think a little bit more, hopefully to help you figure out what you make of all of this. Okay, that's really the goal for this morning. The goal, my goal for this morning is if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, that you would long to trust Jesus. If you haven't been baptized yet, that you would desire to be obedient in pursuing baptism. And, and if, you've done, if you have trusted Jesus and you're already baptized, then you would really want to live that out in a new and deeper way as a result of what we're going to look at uh, this morning. So that's really the goal. So I haven't set, my, I haven't set the bar too high. Okay, I haven't, even, I haven't set the target too high, hopefully, with that. Um, we believe God's Word is something transforming to say to you this morning as we open it together. So let's read together that I'm going to pray, and then we can think about what it means for us today as we try and figure out some of these things. What shall we say then? So right away there's a question, what do you make of all of this? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now we have if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. So let me pray and then we'll think about what all these things, what all these things mean. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to you for what we've been able to sing to you and about you this morning. And even as we come and as we gather our hearts and our minds around about the things that we've sung, and as we try to figure out, what, again, what do we make of all of this? What do we make of what we've sung? What do we make most of all of Jesus and what he's done for us? Father, we pray that you would be at work in our lives. We, 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 we want to just underline, we believe you have something transforming to say here. We believe you have something to, in your word for us this morning to change our lives forever. 
And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to grab hold of those things, help us to understand. Be with me, I pray, as I open your word just now, that those things that have been true for me in my preparation this week, would, um, I would put no obstacle or hindrance to that. But, Father, rather that your word would go out freely and that we would receive it freely as we humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what do, we, what do you make of all of this? You know, we've sung a whole bunch of songs. I don't know, when did you last sing a song with people? Okay, when did you last do that? Maybe, maybe if you go to a football game, maybe that's, maybe that's what you did. Maybe that was the last time you sang a song with people. Maybe, when, when did you last do something like that? When did you last, when were you last up at this time on a Sunday morning, maybe? Even that might be, that might also might be, be something that's unusual or strange for you. You know, we've sung, we've sung a lot this morning. We've sung about God's amazing grace to us. We've sung about who Jesus is and how much we need Jesus' help and what it looks like for him to step into the world and what it took to save us from our sin and what is it that he promises us forever. Those are, those are all things that have been contained in the songs that we've sung. But what do you actually make of all of that? What do you make of all of the things we've just sung? What do you make of you being here this morning as you look around and you... You, you maybe take a gauge of where you're at in relation to those different, those different truths by how loud you hear the people singing, around, singing those things around about you and not sure if you even understand those things or if they're even true for you. What do you make of it all? If we believe as a church that those things we've sung about Jesus are true. That he, is a, he is full of amazing grace to us. We believe that he, we need his help. We we. we, we believe that we, need to, that we needed him to step into the world for us. We believe in the cross and the price that it took to save us from our sin. We, we believe in what he promises us forever. We believe those things, but maybe you're trying to figure those things out. You think, well, there are a lot of words there, but I'm not sure how many of them are true for me. What difference does it make to you? What difference does it make to you? The reality is Jesus doesn't allow you to be some kind of spiritual Switzerland. Okay, that's the truth. Jesus doesn't allow you to be some kind of spiritual special, and Jesus leaves no room for neutrality in regard to the things he, that we are, we've sung about and we've read about from his word. Jesus leaves no room for neutrality. You can't, be, you can't kind of take Jesus or leave. You have to make a decision about Jesus one way or the other at some point or another. And really the question is not so much whether you want to be a spiritual Switzerland or not, whether you want to preserve some kind of spiritual neutrality. The question is simply this. Why would we even choose to be neutral when where we spend eternity is at stake? So well, what do you mean by that? Well, let me map out some of the things just by way of an introduction and basically to set the scene for what we've seen in Romans chapter 6. Here's five things that it's important for us to grasp about the gospel, okay? Five things that, uh, that are important for us to grasp about our relationship with God, how it was broken and why we need Jesus, okay? First, so here's, they're going to be up on the screen for you, I think. First of all, God made you, okay? You were set apart for a creator. That is the fundamental, unalterable fact of the universe. You were made for a creator. You were made for him. You were made to be in relationship with him. But then sin came in and we chose, mankind, you and I, every day, choose our own way. And that's that's called sin. The Bible calls that sin. And that puts us on a collision course with God. So we needed help. And the problem with that is there's nothing we can do to undo. There's nothing you can do to undo your sin. You need somebody, you need help. You need somebody or something to step in to help you with that. And that's where Jesus comes in. It says the son satisfies the holiness that is required by God. 
In other ways, in other, in other words, he, 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 he changes our di- the direction of our life so we're no longer on a collision course with God. As his son satisfies holiness, he, he, he allows us to have a holy life and because, of, because he, all his righteousness, all of his goodness is credited to our account. We'll say, we'll say well, how does that happen? How do, how do I get that righteousness? How do I get his goodness? How do I get that credited to my account? Well, that's where the cross comes in. We have it here on the wall beside us. Salvation through Jesus' death on the cross. He died on the cross in your place for your sins. And that leads to, fifth of all, and the thing we long for most if we really scrutinize our lives, it leads to a security. Security in Jesus conquering death. There's a security in Jesus having conquered death for us. Is that he died on a cross and then he rose from the grave. And he, in order to offer us eternal security with him. And that's really what Romans, what Romans 6 is pointing us towards in, in these things. That we are set apart for, for our creator. We, that our sin puts us on a collision course with God. Right now, your sin puts you on a collision course with God. The son, Jesus, God the Son, satisfies the holy requirements of God. So removes the punishment for sin through his saving death on the cross. We have salvation through Christ's cross and all that so that through his death and resurrection, we have security in him conquering death. Those are, those are the five things, just a five-point root map, okay? This, those are the waypoints in the, of the gospel. Those are things to help us understand the, the, the journey we need and where, where we are at, and maybe for you to be able to gauge where your relationship is with God just now. So there's five things, and when those things are a reality in, in my life, because my faith is in Jesus... This much I know Jesus killed my sin. Okay? Jesus killed with, he dealt with, eternally dealt with my sin. Is that the eternal stain and record of my sin has been removed through Jesus. And when I understand what, that it cost Jesus his life through his death on a cross, then Romans 6 points me to, I've got this morning four declarations of someone who rightly responds to the gospel, who rightly understands and is living out those five realities. Jesus killed my sin. So first declaration is this. And in some ways these things are designed to help us understand what baptism means as well. Okay, so Jesus killed my sin. Declaration number one, sin isn't the place I live anymore. Sin isn't the place I live anymore. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Grace is defined by getting something you don't deserve. In the case of the gospel, we receive forgiveness and God offers to make us part of his family. That's something we don't deserve because although we were set apart for a creator, we chose sin, which puts in a collision course with God. Yet by his grace, he offers, us to, for, offers to forgive us through Jesus and make his family with Jesus. So this question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And some of you are saying, well, that sounds pretty good. So I can get Jesus and I continue to live however I want. And that sounds like a perfect deal. But the answer is clear. By no means. No chance. No way. Would we do that? No, we can we do that. That's not what the gospel is telling us. This is answering a particular way of thinking which says that if God gets glory for his grace, maybe we should keep on singing, sinning so that we need more, so, so that we need more grace, which means that he gets more glory. It's a, particular, it's a peculiar way to take grace for granted. It's like saying I finished rehab, I can now go back to using or 
my debt is paid. I can now go back to gambling by saying my sin is forgiven. Now I can go on with sinning. That's not... Jesus' design is to transform your life and to change your heart, to change the pattern of your life. So we would say this, sin is, sin is dead. Stop dwelling there. The, the word continue here, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The word continue here pictures us staying longer, prolonging a stay, persisting in a pattern. It's like, well, we may continue on, and maybe if you're a little bit posher, you would say this, we may continue on in holiday for a little while longer. Maybe something along those lines. It's this idea of staying in a place and persisting in a place, continuing there, persisting in a pattern. So we almost would make, us, or make, prolong, make, make our stay there longer, make it more of our home. But Jesus offers what we've sung about and what we, we have already heard a bit about this morning is that Jesus offers you salvation and the invitation is to stop living in sin and the, the very sin that you need saved from. That's why Romans 6 is so clear and so helpful. Are we going to continue? Are you going to continue living in such a way as treasures your sin? Are you going to continue to, to live in such a way as holds on to the sin which does you such great damage? The answer is clear. By no means. No chance. That would be, the, that would be ridiculous. If you think that sin and grace go together and they're mutually beneficial to one another, no, no, they're the opposite of one another. We're, sin is dead. I've just, the encouragement is to stop dwelling there, stop living there. God has made grace to abound in many different ways in our lives, and He doesn't need our help to be generous in grace or glorified by grace. He, he is very much that He's already shown us and demonstrated the full extent of His generosity, the generosity of His grace by sending Jesus His Son. Sin is dead, stop dwelling there. Sin is dead, stop dragging yourself back. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? If we die to sin, if we trust Jesus, and if we trust Jesus, as we've said, that's what happens. If we die to sin, my sin has been put to death in him. That's what it means if you hear a Christian talking about Jesus carrying their sin to the cross. It's what we mean when we say that Jesus died in our place for our, for our sins. It's that Jesus killed my, or the, the idea that Jesus killed my sin. When we trust in him, our sin dies with him in an eternal sense. When it no longer has that eternal hold on us. When Jesus said it is finished, it is because he knew that the blow he was dealing to sin and death was fatal. So sin is dead. Why would you, why would you keep dragging yourself back? Why would you keep going back there? The picture is of someone who has said, I'm dead to that or it is dead to me, but continues to be drawn back to the things that damaged them or degraded them in the first place. And that's exactly what sin does. It damages you and degrades you. Why would we keep holding on to or holding out for our sin? Better to say, I don't live there anymore because I've learned what it means to treasure Jesus more. And in many ways, that's what someone who gets baptized is declaring. As the old song says, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's really what's at stake here is this idea of not turning back towards the things that caused us such damage and devastation in our, in our, in our relationship with God. God wants to have a relationship with you. He made you to have a relationship with you. So the invitation is, because out of his love for you, is to come back to him and not be drawn back to your old way of life. Which brings us to the second declaration. 
Sin doesn't hold me back anymore. So sin isn't the place I live anymore. Sin doesn't hold me back anymore. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In a little while we're going to see Megan getting baptized. And hands, up if you're, hands up if you're excited about seeing Megan get baptized. Okay, excellent, all of us. That was similar to David getting you to wave earlier on. All of us, hopefully there's a level of excitement about that. And in some ways, baptism seems a slightly... Maybe this is one of the... What do you make of that questions, okay? You're going to see two grown men take a younger girl and basically hold her underwater for a little while and bring her back out again, okay? And in some ways, it seems a slightly strange thing. And uh, I've been trying to persuade David Martin, who's going to help with the baptism today, not to tease Megan too much about holding her down for too long, okay? He, he, ha- he has the potential to do that. I'll help you, Megan, I promise, okay? Um, but baptism is so helpful in allowing us to picture the realities of, of, of all of this. Baptism is a, it's a, just a great picture, a great symbol of what the, the spiritual realities that Jesus has made true in the life of anybody who would trust him. The person is buried in water. They are plunged into the grave, declaring in that motion that the death Jesus died was a death their sin made them deserving of. It's a declaration that they are laying claim to the sin-defeating death of Jesus Christ. The sin-defeating death that Jesus died. Baptism provides an exclamation mark to the truth that when we trust in Jesus, the eternal, judgment-deserving, soul-staining effects of sin were entombed with Jesus. The good news for the person being baptized is that they are then brought out of the water. That's the good news, right? The good news is they're brought back out of the water, not just because they get to breathe at that point. They are brought back out of the water. Is that in Jesus we are raised to well two things? We're, it's the idea of being raised to, to two things that we we find here. There's a first of all, we are raised to a new way of living. We're we're raised to a new way of living. We are attached in Jesus' death. It says we are buried with Him. We're, but verse 4, we were buried with, therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We, we have a new way of living. We've been raised to a new way of life. So we are buried with Jesus in order that, because, and because without that happening, what we're about to say couldn't become a reality. Our dying to sin through Jesus' death on the cross and our being united with him in that allows us and results in us being united with us and allowing us to be raised to life with him too. We're all in on this. We're all in on his death, which means we all benefit, we get to benefit from his life. So the person is brought back out of the water with a picture of being raised to life, clean from sin, called to and declaring a desire to live for Jesus with her whole life. We're going to get an opportunity to hear from Megan on all of those things. That's why it says here that we might walk in newness of life. Is that Jesus has freed us from sin <clears throat> to a new way of living. Is that now we, now we walk in the ways of the Lord. The direction of our life has changed. In some ways it's interesting, the picture of, the, 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 the word the Bible uses to describe that change is one of repentance. The, the, the action that leads to that is a repentance thing. Repentance is really a turning back, a change of direction, and Jesus allows that. 
Repentance is like taking a U-turn in your, in your relationship with God. It's your, from walking away from Him to gloriously walking towards Him because of what Jesus has done for you. That's why we say Jesus killed my sin, so it doesn't hold me back anymore. Sin is the anchor which prevents us from going forward in our walk with Jesus. It's the handbrake on our holiness. follower of Jesus Christ who is released to live for God's glory in pursuit of all that God promises, God's promises grant us. We have a new way of living. Don't you want that? How would you assess your life? Do you have a sense of confidence and assurance about where that's leading to and where it's going? What do you make of all the things we've sung? Don't you long for a new way of life, something different to define who you are. We're going to come to more onto that a little bit later. But we have a new way of living, but not just that, we have a new thing to hope in. Look at verse 5. If you're still with me, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like, like his. Verse 5 directs us to something that, if we are honest, we often feel is in short supply in our lives. It directs us towards Certainty. What kind of cert- do you have certainty in your life? How will this end? What happens after this ends? How can I know for sure? What happens beyond this life? And what can I do about it now that matters? Well, here's some certainty for us this Sunday morning. If you have trusted in Jesus' death, you can be certain of being united with him in his resurrection. That's what it tells us here. We shall certainly, if we, if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall underline it, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. There's some certainty for your Sunday morning if you've come feeling uncertain and unsure. That is a certainty that doesn't just change everything. It very specifically changes your eternity. Jesus' death on the cross gives us a new thing to hope in, walking in newness of life with the confident certainty of knowing that Jesus has secured our being raised to eternal life. So a new way of living and a new thing to hope in. Don't you long for those things? Your life to count towards something bigger and greater than it does just now? And you think to hope in a, 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 a greater certainty and confidence and assurance about your life and what it means? Baptism is, is in many ways a funeral and a birthday party. Is anybody's birthday here today? Just asking the question. Is there any birthdays here? Hands up if it's your birthday today. Okay, there's, there should be three hands up, I think. One of them is in Kidsman. Okay, that's excellent. So Matthew, our boys, it's our birthday as well. Joshua and Lauren, happy birthday. I'm not going to get them to stand. Let's get them to stand and sing happy birthday. No! <laughs> so tempted. Um, <laughs> baptism is, is in many they're, they're, listen they were shy about even putting their hand up there okay the idea of standing up and us singing to them I, I, they're never coming back okay I would like you, we would like you to come back okay baptism though is in many ways a funeral and a birthday party where part of you dies in order that you would be made more alive than you have ever been before as you are raised into the grave, so Lord, into the grave, and then raised to new life. It's a funeral and a birthday party. It's a cause to remember what you, how you once lived, but an opportunity to celebrate and, make, and hope in what's to come in the future. 
Part of you dies in order that you would be made more alive than you ever, ever have been before. Don't you long for that? I know I do. There's a certain freedom about faith in Jesus that comes about because we can declare him, in him that third declaration. So we're, this, there's a freedom here, right? And that comes about because we can declare in him that sin doesn't rule my life anymore. Sin doesn't rule my life anymore. anymore. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So here's another picture, another way of thinking about this whole, this whole um, dynamic of our relationship with God. We have an old self which was, which was crucified with Jesus. We have an, it's the old me. Have you got an old me? How you used to be? Maybe it's your old look. Maybe, it's, maybe you've made some lifestyle changes or that kind of thing. I don't know if you, you maybe you've gone, you went to a life coach or something like this. Well, here's some changes you can make to improve your life. You didn't leave, your old, leave the old me behind. Maybe, that's, maybe it's been all, this is way deeper than that and way more eternal than that. We have an old self, this is telling us, we have an old way of living. If we've trusted Jesus, we have an old self which was crucified with Jesus. If you haven't trusted Jesus, then you're still stuck with your old self. And if you're anything like me, you, that's not a good situation to be in. The old self, which was is described here as the body of sin. And this is saying if we put our trust in Jesus, then that allows our old self to be nailed to a cross. This is telling you, this is telling you if you long for freedom, if you long for confidence, if you long for assurance, if you long for certainty, this is telling us that there is freedom in that for you, that sin need not rule in your life right now. It's telling us that sin is powerless. Sin is powerless. The body of sin has been brought to nothing. Isn't that a great picture? Isn't that a great, such an encouraging idea that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order, that verse 6, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's an amazing, that's amazing good news. The thing that put you on a collision course with God has been removed. The body of sin has been brought to nothing. This is telling us that when we have trusted Jesus, then sin has run out of steam ground to a halt, lost all of its momentum and impact on our souls. It has been negated, halted and neutralized so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, no longer going back to the poison well of how we used to live before Jesus came in and changed us. Or how we are living in, with a lack of confidence and assurance and certainty and freedom because Jesus has not yet changed us because we've not yet trusted him. Look again what it says. It says that these things should no longer, that we would no longer, just at the end of verse 6, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The word no longer describes no more and never again. That's the certainty of the work of Jesus in the life of somebody who's put their trust in him. No, no more and never again. And those things are the reality, the heart of what this passage is talking about. No more because sin has been put to death. No longer because we have been raised with Christ to newness of life. No more because sin has been put to death. Never again because we've been raised to, with Christ to newness of life. By no means because he's been so good to me. So our life in Jesus is, has freed us from being enslaved. 
This is telling us the oppression of sin is over. The subject, our subjection to sin has ceased. We don't need to live like we used to live anymore. There's a freedom and a release in that. We get to live our lives for him. And that's what somebody being baptized celebrates. The opportunity that somebody has been given to live their lives for God through Jesus Christ. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That's the practical reality. It's just a practical reality. If somebody has died, they've been set free from sin. Do they sin anymore? No, because they don't do anything anymore. Somebody's died, they're set free from, that's it. There's nothing they can do because they're dead. That's the reality. When we die physically, our body is freed from the everyday toil and consequence of sin. So too, someone who has died with Christ, again, having that identification with his death and the cross, so, so that person who has died with Christ is freed from the eternal toil and consequence of sin. He wants, God, Jesus wants to set you free. There's a lot of meaning in this idea of freedom. And in a lot of ways, it's one of the things we really... Our culture speaks a lot about, about having freedom. But here in the Bible, the word free, here in Romans 6, the word free means to, to be justified. To, made, to be made just as if you've never sinned. That's how I've heard it described before. It's to make right or just, to put someone in a proper relationship with another, to cause someone standing to be approved, to allow someone to stand accepted. That's the idea of freedom. It's almost in a legal sense. That's what it's talking about. Do you see how huge this is? Do you see how huge this is? This is talking about a relationship with God. It's talking about your relationship with God and the opportunity that there is for you to have your relationship with God fixed. To, to, to stand acceptable and approved before him because Jesus stands in your place. It's huge. In a world where acceptance and approval are our cultural addictions, this is telling us that there is a way to be free, a way to find security. But opposite of the culture, it isn't in, it isn't in living how we want. In fact, it's to see that living how we want is the source of the emptiness we often feel. Jesus frees us to something different, to live how our Creator wants, to live how we were always intended to, to live. So here's the offer that Jesus makes to set you free from all the burden and the brokenness and the betrayal of sin and choosing your own way. Because that's what sin does. It burdens you, it breaks you and betrays you. He makes sin, Jesus makes sin powerless and freezes that so that sin is no longer primary. Sin is powerless, sin is no longer primary. What you're seeing in all of this, and in some ways I feel wholly inadequate to actually express how awesome these things are, but I hope you're seeing the overflowing and overwhelming benefits that are found in your life being given over to Jesus Christ. If we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him and our confidence is gathered around this reality. Jesus has defeated death. That's what we know. He went into the grave and rose from the grave. He has slain the thing that scares us most. The thing we fear most is death. I know you may have other secondary fears, spiders, snakes, those kind of things. But the thing that scares us most is death. What happens at the end? He has slain the thing that scares you most. And if, it's, and if it has no claim on him, 
then it is no claim on those who are united to him in faith, holding on to him in confident hope. And that's what's offered to you. To, to be fastened to him. Where our natural inclination and our sin is to run as fast as, away from him as we possibly can. But he invites you to come and be fastened to him so that we can be part of and be partners with him in what, in what he has done on the cross, slaying the thing that scares us most, securing us for eternity. Here's a great hope we have. Verse 9, death no longer has dominion over him. He died and rose again, defeating death, which means that death no longer has dominion over him. It doesn't have any rule or say or authority in this matter where he is involved. And if you've put your trust in him, it doesn't have any say or sway or authority in this matter as long as you're involved. That's the great hope we have in Jesus Christ. If we are in him, death and its partner, sin, have no mastery or control over us. Living for God is primary. Death and sin are in our past. Which means finally that sin can't define me any longer. Sin can't define me any longer. If we believe these things are true, why would we want sin to define us? Let not, verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Sin can't define me any longer. All of this leads to a key question. How do you think of yourself as regards to these things? How do you think of yourself as these things? It brings us back to the question we asked at the beginning. What do you make of all of this? What do you make of Jesus? If you haven't trusted Jesus, then the implication is that you are still bearing the burden and the brokenness and the betrayal of sin in your life. This is telling us that Jesus can free you from that. That Jesus invites you to find freedom in him from those things. The invitation is to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. If you call yourself a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you must consider yourself dead to sin to say, I don't live there anymore. It doesn't hold me back anymore. It doesn't rule my life anymore. And and, And therefore it doesn't define me any longer. There's an encouragement in amongst all of this to watch, watch your will. Two things just to finish off. Watch your will. When you take stock of your life and think about Jesus and consider all that he has done and the price that he paid and how it was your sole debt payment that he paid on the cross. When you think about that, watch your will. Think about, it's time to make some better choices. It's time to make some decisions about what do you believe about Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never thought about him before. Maybe this is a great day for you to start. We've got some folks who would love to be able to walk. I'd love to be able to walk through that with you. We've got other folks who would as well. If you've been invited with, here by someone, maybe they would want to walk through that with you. But answer the questions. Take some time. These are eternal questions of eternal substance which are so vital for you to be able to draw some conclusions on. What are you living for? Are you living for Jesus? Or are you living for yourself? Or are you living for someone, something else? 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Let it, don't let that be the case. Let it be your a resolve. Let it be our absolute, absolute resolve to do what it says next, to not let that be true. Let, let not sin therefore reign in your body. This is part of the considering and counting piece that goes alongside all of these things. There are some decisions to be made about what it is that defines your life. So ultimately, is this is Jesus defining your life right now? Jesus has removed the dominion of sin in an eternal sense, but we need to decide if we are going to choose to be dominated by sin in an everyday sense. Are you going to go back? Are you going to drift back to the things that Jesus died for and you're supposed to be dead to? Are we going to go back to the old self? Are we going to continue in sin? Are we choosing to delight in the very things that Jesus had to die to save us from? Does sin, does sin, right now, is sin reigning in your mortal body? Or maybe to put it another way, is the life that you're living right now defined by obeying sin-fueled long, longings? Or is it defined by obeying the Son of God who loves you and died to save you? When you've trusted in Jesus as Savior, sin cannot define you any longer. You belong to someone else. You follow a different and eternal king that rules your soul and you gladly follow because he has been so good to you. Which means there is a, not just a call to watch your will, but finally, a call to choose your weapon. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And you say, well, what's that got to do with weapons? We'll see in a minute. We can present our lives in one of two directions. We can consecrate, we can dedicate, we can devote our lives in one of two directions. If you believe that this is telling, if you believe that what this is telling you about Jesus, the instruction is clear. Don't devote your life to things that have nothing to do with God's eternal plan for your life because you've got a choice between devoting your life away from God or devoting your life towards God and His eternal plan for your life. And it puts it here as instruments of righteousness or instruments of unrighteousness that has both of those things in the verses we've just read. When we understand that we get to devote our lives to God as people who He has brought from death to life, then we present our bodies as instruments of righteousness because we want to live our lives according to his plan and according to his way. Now, the word instruments here isn't some musical accompaniment, but actually describes military activity. Choose your weapons. It's a battle. There's a battle going on for you. Even right now, there's a battle going on for your soul and for the sin in your life. There's a wrestling match, and maybe you feel that. You, you, you think, well, how dare he speak to me about my sin and how I'm living my life? How, how dare he do that? Well, that's part of it. Are you going to choose to listen to God's word, or are you going to listen to, choose to listen to sin and how it challenges, seeks to challenge God's word? Maybe you're saying, well, how, why would I need help? You need help. This is telling us we, there are eternal questions that need to be answered around about all of these things. Our bodies are engaged in war against righteousness. Are either, our bodies are either engaged in war against righteousness or against unrighteousness. And sin is the battleground. We will fight for our sin or we will fight against our sin. And Jesus wants to, Jesus invites you to find help from him in your battle against sin, both in an eternal sense and in an everyday sense. Jesus killed our sin 
So now he is the king that we get to serve. Sin has no dominion over me. That's what getting baptized allows someone to declare. That's what someone who has been saved by Jesus gets to live for. I'm no longer defined by the sin that burdens, breaks, and betrays me, but by Jesus who loves me and gave himself for me. That's what you're invited to find in him. To turn your back on the things that burden, break, and betray you and turn towards Jesus who loves you and gave himself for you. And that's what you're invited to find in Jesus today and live in light of for the rest of eternity. That's what baptism pictures. And we're going to sing a song and then we're going to get an opportunity to hear a little bit about Megan's story and see her being baptized as a picture of all of that. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we find it so easy to cling on to their old way of life, the old way of doing things. Father, we thank you for the times when you put things in our lives which cause us to consider our ways and to think about how we're spending our days and the things we're passionately pursuing most of all and the things that are defining us in our lives. Father, we thank you that your word highlights the burden and the brokenness and the betrayal that sin brings. And if we look at our lives, that makes so much sense because we see the, the emptiness and the lostness and the dissatisfaction and the disappointment that our lives often contain because we're trusting in the wrong things. But Father, we thank you that you are, seek to arrest our attention. You seek to draw our attention to Jesus, the one who, who, who loves us and gave himself for us in order that we can be defined by something better and greater. So Father, we pray just now that these things wouldn't be lost, that that you would, be, you would allow us just to come and go away from, these, go away from this morning and, and not consider these things anymore. Father, we pray that you would help us to pursue these eternal questions, to really ask, what do I make of all of that? And most of all, what do I make of it, Jesus? So help us, we pray. And even as we prepare now, for, as we're going to sing, but now as we prepare for Megan coming and sharing her story, we want to pray for her, just so you would have your hand upon her as she tells her story of how you've changed her life. Thankful for her willingness to do that. Thankful for her obedience. Father, we pray you would bless her as she does that. And so, Father, we pray you would help us all these, in all these things, to not just to look at this and, th- and think, well, that, what does that mean for them? But rather, what does that mean for me? Do a work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.